It's Friday, March 6, 2020. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Well, if you like the idea of growing your own food, but you don't happen to own a farm, Community Supported Agriculture, CSA, is the next best thing. Rather than invest in land, equipment, supplies, and labor needed for large-scale food production, you simply buy a share in a local farm. And in return, you get an allotment of fresh local produce in proportion to what you put in. Energy consumers who want to switch to solar power have a similar problem. Even though those photovoltaic panels are getting much less expensive, a rooftop array for a variety of reasons is still probably out of reach for most consumers. Even if you can afford the gear, your home might not be a suitable site for harvesting sunlight. might not even be your home, technically, if you're a renter. But what if you could apply the CSA model to energy production? Well, in 16 states in the District of Columbia and maybe soon Pennsylvania, you can. Community solar is a way for energy consumers to get clean electricity locally without all the risk and expense of building one's own installation. Well, that's good for consumers, for the economy, for the grid, and for the planet. But here's the interesting part. It could also be a lifeline for Pennsylvania's struggling farmers. That is, if the General Assembly passes enabling legislation to get community solar off the ground. Now, to better understand what's at stake and how community solar can support agriculture, today we're talking with representatives from two solar firms that are advocating for Pennsylvania House Bill 531 by way of the Coalition for Community Solar Access, or CCSA, an industry organization that's active nationwide. Sarah Walkus is Midwest Regional Director of Policy and Business Development at Borrego Solar Systems. Lucy Bullock-Seeger is Director of Civic Engagement with Blue Wave Solar. Both companies are members of the Coalition for Community Solar Access. Sarah, Lucy, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Let's start out by talking about your companies just to kind of get to know you a little bit. What kind of work do you do? And then how do you interface with CCSA? What is your role in that organization? Uh, starting with Sarah. So Borrego Solar Systems is a solar development company. We've been around for 40 years. We're actually celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. And we develop projects, commercial behind-the-meter projects, community solar projects, utility-scale projects. And we're one of the largest in the nation. So how we interact with the with CCSA and the Coalition for Community Solar Access is we're a member, um, we're a leadership member, and we work with CCSA through engagement at the legislative and regulatory level in many states to make sure that, you know, the political and regulatory framework is available for community solar to move forward in, in multiple states. And Blue Wave is a little younger. We have been around for the last 10 years. We were born and raised in Massachusetts. We've developed 135 megawatts of community and public solar projects, mostly between one and five megawatts. And we also have a community solar servicing side of our house. So that means that we develop the projects, we put the steel in the ground, and then we also make sure that all of our projects are subscribed with local subscribers, um, whether that's small businesses, residents, hospitals, colleges, universities, and also public entities like housing authorities and things like that. So we do both. We build them and then we fill them. As you both know, obviously, Pennsylvania does not yet have community solar. But for those who may not be familiar with this model, could you just briefly describe what it is, how it works, and how it's different from other models that maybe people uh, may already know of whereby consumers can purchase solar power you know, through their utility? Sure. The way community solar works 
is it's a lot like if you've ever signed up for community-supported agriculture at your local farm. So you would go and you'd get a box of vegetables every week um, and you'd pay for that. And so you know exactly where your vegetables came from, who your farmer is, and um, oftentimes you're getting a really good deal on it. So the same thing happens with community solar. So down the street you may see a large-scale 2 to 5 megawatt array that goes up in someone's property and a subscriber, oftentimes residents or small businesses, can sign up with the community solar company like Blue Wave or Borrego and you will receive discounted credits on your bill in the months following your subscription coming online. So technically the way it works is that the project feeds the grid, the local grid, and through your utility you will see credits appear in your bill that will be at a discounted rate because of the relationship between the utility and the solar company. Right away, I can see the appeal of this approach just from a standpoint of meeting the upfront costs, I guess, when I think about residential solar. The sort of classic scenario that comes to mind is it's a homeowner that wants to put some panels on the roof, has to usually borrow a lot of money, maybe get some tax credits along the way, but you know, has to figure out how to amortize that over time, whereas this would make it a whole lot more accessible. However, at the same time, you know, we keep hearing the technology is already pretty inexpensive and it's getting cheaper all the time. So if we're heading toward a not-so-distant future where the upfront investment isn't quite so onerous, are there other reasons why community solar might be something that appeals to, to people? Sure. And Sarah, you can talk to this too, but, you know, say you're a renter. You know, you're not able to put panels on your roof um, because of your landlord or you live in a large apartment building and your condo association won't allow it. There's only about a quarter of the roofs, say in Massachusetts specifically, that are suitable for solar panels. So you either have to replace your roof in order to get your array installed or you have, say you have trees shading it. So there's a lot of reasons why people wouldn't be able to participate directly through panels on their own roof. So that's why community solar is so great because all of those people, renters, people who live in apartment buildings, people who don't have suitable roofs, for people who just don't want to take out that loan and make that investment, uh, community solar is a great solution for them. Yeah, and I would add that the other great thing about community solar is your subscription is both portable and transferable. So if portable, right. meaning if you move, your, your subscription can follow you to your new home. So the panels that you put on your roof, if you were to do rooftop solar, do not follow you right. if you sell your home. And transferable, meaning if you move out of state, the community solar company can transfer your subscription to a new subscriber. So you don't have to worry about paying for something that you would no longer use. So it's got a lot of great benefits. Speaking of other states, obviously uh, others have already gone down this road and Pennsylvania is maybe playing a little catch up. Can you talk about what approaches other states have taken to implementing community solar? What have the results been? What could we expect to see here if, if we follow suit? Sure. So currently in Pennsylvania, there's about 475 megawatts of solar installed, none of which is community solar. In New Jersey, there's 3,000 megawatts installed. Some of it is community solar, but right now they're working on a larger program for community solar, and that's happening really quickly. Same thing's happening in Maryland. There's about 1,000 megawatts of solar. So you can see that Pennsylvania's got some catching up to do with its neighbors. 
in Massachusetts is kind of the the home of community solar. It's where it was developed, and Blue Wave was a part of pioneering that that early model back in 2010. So Massachusetts has been a leader in, in community solar, and it's followed closely behind by Minnesota. So there's been an established market with thousands of subscribers over the last 10 years, and people have realized millions of dollars of savings on their energy bills because of that. So Pennsylvania has a really great opportunity right now to not only shift their clean energy uh, or their energy goals towards clean energy, but also save residents a lot of money in the long term. I know you guys focus on the economic benefits, broadly defined, I guess. It's not just companies like yours that would stand to benefit from access to this market. It, It actually kind of pays out dividends across the board. Can you talk about some of the other economic benefits going beyond, you know, the direct impact on the solar industry? Sure. I mean, there's an immense amount of opportunity for jobs, job growth in Pennsylvania. We've seen that in Massachusetts and New Jersey specifically. They have 6,000 solar jobs and growing because Governor Murphy just set a really aggressive 100% clean energy goal. And Massachusetts has about 11,000 solar jobs as well. Pennsylvania's got around uh, just under four, so that's good, but it can definitely grow and it will grow, especially when community solar can be enabled. But when you get down to the local level, not just about jobs, the really interesting thing for Blue Wave is uh, we've developed really great relationships with farmers. And I know it's a really big issue in, in Pennsylvania right now. There's been, I guess over the last five years, 6,000 farms were closed um, because of either retirement or income-related issues. And the Farm Bureau is really working hard to find other angles for people to, you know, stabilize their enterprises so that they can pass it on to the next generation and so that we can keep agricultural production for feeding the region. So enter solar. You wouldn't necessarily think that's a great um, top-of-the-mind match, but what farmers can do is they can lease a small parcel of their property to put a solar array uh, on there. And over the life of the project, they will get an annual lease payment that helps stabilize the enterprise so that they can maybe take more risks to increase agricultural production. They feel like they have the room to take on regenerative farming practices because a lot of the time, the margins are so thin for farmers that they want to do things correctly and they want to take more risks in order to meet consumers and the market where they need to, but they don't have that expendable income. So solar lease payments to farmers is a lifeline. And specifically for the dairy industry in Pennsylvania, they're going through a lot of pain right now because of the price of milk and overproduction and Solar is a great way to either, you know, have your cows graze underneath and you're leasing that land as well so that they, it's kind of called dual use. So you can have solar, have your crops or you're grazing underneath it and you're kind of getting double the benefit out of the land because of that. So it feels like a no brainer, especially for dairy farmers, but any farm can benefit from kind of a supplemental income so that they can keep providing food, uh, important food for the region too. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say Lucy is spot on. Every farmer that we work with and we lease land from is looking to diversify their income and provide a little bit of stability for their farm. You know, crop prices have been all over the place and often they are living on razor thin margins. So solar provides some certainty 
for a, a certain you know time period as to the income they're going to make from a portion of their farm. And it does allow them to then, as Lucy said, make other decisions about the other part of their farm that they may otherwise not be able to. And not only do we pay lease, but we also pay the property taxes underneath the land that, um, that uh, we're leasing. So we relieve them of that burden as well. And just for the jobs part, you know, Borrego is not only, not only do we build our own projects, but we also build other people's projects. We bid that on those projects and build them. And, you know, every time we build a project, a two megawatt project, and, you know, a larger project would be, you'd have to, you know, multiply it a bit. But every time we build a two megawatt project, some days we might have only two or three guys and gals, on, uh, you know, in the field. Some days we might have, you know, 50 or 60. But on average, we're creating somewhere around 20 to 30 full-time jobs with each one of those projects. So if you multiply that by dozens, if not hundreds of projects across the state across many years, it is a considerable workforce development opportunity for Pennsylvania. And we've seen that in, in the other states that we're working. You know, one of the things that community solar developers are really excited about is that updating farms and rural areas to three-phase power is a game changer. And a lot of the times the utilities don't have the money or it's not in their plans yet to upgrade the grid, but here comes some solar companies who are willing to do that in conjunction with the utilities. You know, that's a, a huge deal. And not only is that an economic development tool, but, you know, we have experience with farmers where they are operating, you know, a water pump or something like that through a, a massive diesel engine. And they don't really want to do that. So when they install solar or the neighbor installs solar and they upgrade to three-phase power, then they can do something more, you know, clean and also economically beneficial for themselves. When you talk about dual use, and it's easy to see how that would work really nicely with pasture land where the cattle can move around and, and graze where they will and the solar panels mm-hmm. can coexist. But you, I think you also said that you can grow crops under solar panels too. How does that work? So what's really interesting about dual use is that you can basically grow anything under the panels. What typically happens is you raise them 8 to 10 feet above, and so then you have a shade analysis done. It's an engineering feat to be sure, but you know you space the panels and you raise them high enough that you can work under them, around them. You can put tractors through them and everything, and you can grow anything from beans, cabbage, corn, tomatoes, strawberries. We're doing, uh, working with blueberry farmers. You can do oats, wheat. We're working with a farmer who's growing hops. You know, there's any number of crops that can work under it. And the designs are, are flexible enough that you can have variable cropping so that you can do really good regenerative agricultural practices and see what works. I mean, it, it really is, the farmers that we're talking to about it are really excited because the yields that we know that we can get from any number of crops are comparable to, say, zero, because the options that they have right now when they're facing development pressure is either housing or dual-use solar or standard solar in general. So it's really, really interesting, and we're very excited about it. There's lots of studies being done. There's a pilot in Massachusetts at UMass Amherst, and they've had great success. And we're really, really happy to be working with specifically farmer, this farmer in Grafton, Massachusetts, where we're going to be growing strawberries, squash, tomatoes, pumpkins, all sorts of stuff. I was just going to add, 
that, you know, the the dual crop is amazing and it's quite honestly cutting edge and it's definitely the wave of the future. We work with every farmer that we lease from to see what their preference is. And, you know, some farmers don't want to farm under their panels. If they don't want to do that, then there still is the option to do like a pollinator-friendly habitat there where you're um, encouraging pollinators, bees, to come. And obviously farmers need bees for the rest of their farm. And even if they don't want to do a pollinator-friendly, and some landowners do not, just having local grass mix under the panels is actually regenerative to the to the soil because it will sit and not be farmed for 20 to 40 years. So solar has a, a lot of benefits beyond just the electricity production that it has, and our farmers are really starting to understand that and are really excited about it. Right. And just to tag on to Sarah, a standard solar array is a great way to preserve farmland, you know, for 25 to 30 years, whereas, you know, if you are trying to decide between solar developer and a housing developer, housing has a significantly larger impact environmentally and ecologically on uh, a parcel of land than solar does. And there's lots of great studies being done about carbon sequestration and soil building underneath the arrays and also water retention. So letting the land rest is also a benefit of solar if that's what the farmers choose to do. One more thing to add on... CCSA is committed to making sure that community solar are good stewards of the land. I know that there is a conversation between CCSA and the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau about kind of standard practice for both leasing and for construction and deconstruction of community solar on farmland. And the Farm Bureau in Pennsylvania is very excited about this. I don't want to speak for them, but we heard that they're very excited about this. We're very excited about this. It is a long-term relationship between the community solar project owner and the farmer, and not only just the farmer, but the community. And so we are 100% committed to being good stewards of the land and being good partners with the local community on this. Absolutely. So we've looked at how, how this model benefits potentially farmers and landowners. We've talked about impacts on, on jobs and spending and tax revenues and all of the, the attendant economic benefits that you would associate with you know, most kinds of development. Sort of looking beyond the economic, what are some other ways in which having community solar in your community is good for other people beyond just those immediate economic stakes? So community solar, in addition to the economic benefits that it provides subscribers and obviously the local landowner and the local community, it provides a lot of benefit to the grid. So it's interconnected at the distribution level instead of the transmission level, meaning the local distribution grid and not the big power lines that you see along the side of the highway, which means that the power doesn't have to travel as far and is powering the local community. It can also help that distribution grid um, with regulation, with um, with frequency regulation. It can help the distribution utility avoid investments that it otherwise would have to make um, for grid upgrades in some places. So there's a lot of benefits to the local grid just by having the systems interconnected. And that really is resiliency, right? So we believe and we know and studies have shown in other states that the benefit of interconnecting these systems is beneficial to all local uh, ratepayers, not just those that subscribe to the project. You know, my company's motto is that we want to build the kind of the, the future through sustainable energy and solar is just that. So it doesn't have any pollution. 
And as we know from so many different studies through many years, pollution directly affects public health, asthma rates, heart disease, etc. And solar doesn't do that. So if you have your power generated locally with no pollution, you're benefiting the local community just through the lowering rates of those detrimental health effects from polluting energy sources. So all of that together is just another reason why community solar and solar in general is beneficial to the community. One of maybe maybe the biggest benefit of solar technology generally, and it almost goes without saying, but it really does bear emphasizing, solar is a zero carbon energy source. Pennsylvania has made commitments and is really working toward decarbonization. Can you talk about in as much specificity as you can, like what would the actual impacts be on lowering Pennsylvania's uh, emissions or, or the impact of our energy consumption from a climate standpoint? So one megawatt of solar, which is enough to power roughly around like 100 households, offsets annually 31,500 tons of carbon. And that's equal to about 5,000 cars off of the road for an entire year. So Imagine that times 100 in terms of how many megawatts of solar could potentially go on the ground in Pennsylvania. That's a significant progress towards sequestering carbon and decarbonizing the grid. So there's a significant opportunity for Pennsylvania to really turn things around in a really short amount of time. And again, it's not just a way to potentially really upscale solar production in Pennsylvania, but I mean, by definition means this is energy produced within our borders. This is homegrown electrons, right? Absolutely. Locally grown solar. Okay. So in Pennsylvania, there is legislation now before the General Assembly introduced last year that would, I guess, kind of clear the way for community solar. Tell me about House Bill 531. What's in this bill? Why do you support it? Why should people care? House Bill 531 is an initiative of CCSA and its member companies. And essentially what it does is enables community solar to move forward in Pennsylvania. Right now in Pennsylvania, if you put solar on your roof, the laws and the regulations allow you to get the full benefit of all of the solar that is produced by that system. And because it's connected behind your meter, it's easy for the utility to do that. What we need is essentially the same type of situation for community solar because it is not connected behind any single user's meter generally. It is uh, a larger system that has its own meter and then multiple subscribers receive benefit on their electric bill. You need enabling legislation to be able to do that. So the legislation in 531 does exactly that and it, uh, it sets up the Public Utility Commission in Pennsylvania to um, write kind of the rules of the road on how that would happen and how low and moderate income participants could make sure that they get a not just a opportunity, but a robust opportunity to participate in community solar. It governs kind of how um, interconnection will happen of these systems and other things that are general steps that we have to take to get a community solar market moving in any state. It has bipartisan support, strong support from Republicans, mainly because of the benefit to the rural economies that they're likely to see, um, but bipartisan support because everybody can benefit from community solar. It doesn't matter if you're urban or rural, uh, Republican or Democrat. Anybody can be a subscriber, and so anybody can benefit. And so we're really, really um, proud and excited about not only just the number of legislators that are supporting it, but the diversity of legislators that are supporting this initiative. But without House Bill 531, community solar 
is not a possibility in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania will really miss out on this exciting market. We've focused on upsides, but maybe let's look at some potential downsides to not acting. I was just reading uh, just in the last week about employment numbers in the solar industry nationally and added like 250,000 workers, I believe. We didn't really see that proportionally in Pennsylvania. One would imagine that with community solar enabling legislation, that number would go up significantly. But I guess my question is, right now, are we, meaning Pennsylvania, in danger of being left behind by other states? Yes. Pennsylvania should act now if they want to get in uh, kind of on the ground floor. Other states have already moved forward. We've talked a bit about Massachusetts and New Jersey and Maryland. Virginia is considering some enabling legislation this year. Minnesota, Illinois, Oregon, Colorado. Many states are moving forward with community solar and Pennsylvania needs to do so as well if it wants to see community solar move forward. And the jobs are there. You know, it's not just construction jobs, though. When community solar comes to a state, the jobs range from anything from developers that would work for one of Lucy or my companies, engineers that have to engineer the project. Obviously, we work with local folks to do geotech engineering and to do land surveys. We work with real estate agents. We work with construction companies. And then we also have customer acquisition and management folks that deal with how to interact with the subscriber and maintain and operate the system. So it's a wide variety of different types of jobs associated with with community solar. Many of them are in the construction trade, and that's a great benefit to the local community, but there's many more jobs associated with it than just that. Sarah Wokas with Borrego Solar Systems and Lucy Bullock-Seeger with Blue Wave Solar. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. You'll find lots more information on Community Solar, how it's working out in other states, on the CCSA website at communitysolaraccess.org, communitysolaraccess.org. And to keep tabs on House Bill 531, you can visit the Bill Tracker at techpa.org. You can find our position on this piece of legislation, many others, along with information about upcoming dates, hearings, current status of various pieces of legislation and policy, uh, all meticulously tracked at peckpa.org on the Policy Bill Tracker. You can also find past episodes of the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast on the website, along with news, event listings, and lots more on Pennsylvania Environmental Council activities across the state. Check out peckpa.org, follow us on Twitter at PECPA, and visit us on Facebook. Pennsylvania Legacies returns in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening.